Cricket Life Stories with me, Neil Kagram. Today we're joined by Dion Nash. How's things going in New Zealand? It's good, thank you. Yeah, we're, um, we're coming to the end of our summer. Um, you know, we're pr- relatively COVID-free, so we, we feel like we're pretty happy compared to, um, to what a, a few parts of the world have put, had to put up with. So life's good. Yeah. So let's take it all the way back with yourself. You're born in Auckland. Was cricket always your number one sport? Were you a rugby man like a lot of the New Zealanders? <laughs> yeah, no, I have to say, so, um, no, cricket wasn't my number one sport. I was very much um, brought up in a rugby family. Um, my older brother was a rugby player, played represented rugby. And my, my father was a good rugby player. My father was actually a boxer as well. So we sort of came from that side. But my mother's brother was a cricketer and his son, was quite a, a good cricketer. So that's where my exposure came, was through my cousins. And um, in fact, I, I remember um, playing at school because I didn't really play formally till around about 11 or 12, which is, you know, early enough, but, but all of my friends were already playing competitive cricket. Um, but I, would, I was sort of dominating in the schoolyard, but my, my parents went, wouldn't let me play on the weekends. So... Um, I remember in the end, my cousin coming up and pleading with my father to say, come on, we just he, can he come down and just play this one game? Um, and so that was a, the start of it. And then I, I sort of never looked back. But like many Kiwis, you know, you, you, at, at, at that time, you played cricket in the win- uh, summer and rugby in the winter. Um, and really, those were the two options um, growing up. There wasn't much else. What position did you play on a rugby field? Uh, well, actually, I played... Uh, First five and fullback were the main two positions. Yeah, I, I, I probably preferred fullback, to be honest. I like the free, a little bit more free roaming and, and be able to run with the ball a bit more. But um, I, I played both. But yeah, I played first 15 at Auckland Grammar um, and um, you know, played also at my previous school in Dargaville High School up, up north, which is where I originally grew up. I played first 15 up there as well. And then on the cricketing side, as a youngster... Was it always the all-round ability that you had or did you shine with the bat more than the ball? Can you remember your early days honing your skills? Uh, it was always, I always liked doing both. I mean, and I think probably in a way coming from not a traditional cricketing family, um, I think the all-rounder Nate side of cricket appealed more, right? It was uh, it was more like rugby, you're just involved the whole time. And I think, so I think that, that probably was, I just wanted to, to always be with the bat in hand or bowling, or if I wasn't batting, then I wanted to be bowling. Um, that typical kid in the in the schoolyard who you know would would bat half of lunchtime and then get out and then go and get the ball and bowl bowl everyone out and then bat again. No, that was sort of like, <laughs> and I just remember having having to always be doing something. Um, but I, I I just loved the game. I, I think I what I really loved is I loved bowling. I love the idea of smashing the wickets over. I love, I remember that memory. I just love, you know, cleaning out all the wickets, you know, that were and bowling as fast as I could and smashing them. Uh, and I remember, um, I also just remember loving sort of hitting the ball, not not necessarily getting runs, but I just love, love the process of hitting the ball. Um, and, and I think, you know, that in the end, I, I guess when you boil it all down to it, that's what the game is, right? Um, and, and then from there, you you know, you, you learn all the other skills later. And your earliest cricketing hero? Well, 
I'm a little bit different. So Imran Khan was the one that stands out to me. Um, like by like, I, I just remember seeing Imran Khan for the first time on TV, and you know, because everyone in New Zealand was all about Richard Hadley or um, you know, or and and or, or other players closer at home, closer to home. But um, I just remember seeing Imran Khan and thinking, man, that guy can play, and this I want to play like him. Um, and so he was my my earliest one. I, 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 you know, I liked Michael Holding and Dennis Lilly as well. They were two that other ones that stood out. Uh, you know, there's Michael Holding watching him run into bowl and and that rhythmical run and the nickname Whispering Death. You know, it was. Um, and then I think the aggressiveness of Dennis Lilly, I always, I really, I really liked. But um, but it was always, I don't know, there was something about the suave sort of charismatic character of Ramon Khan that uh, that always just took my attention. How did you get into the Northern District system? Can you talk us through how it works in New Zealand? Do you get picked from school? Do you go through an academy system? Just give us a little yeah. insight how it was. Well, uh, I, I was lucky in a way. So I, I grew up in a small town um, in, called Dargaville, way up in the north of New Zealand. So there's only about 5,000 people. But, um, and, but for the time, that little time when I was growing up, um, it, there was actually six senior cricket teams in that town, um, which now there's not even one, I don't think. So so it was just a, a small moment in time um, that there was just a whole lot of adults and, and teenagers and kids who loved cricket at one time. It was really weird. And it coincided with the boom of indoor cricket, which was, um, you know, relatively new phenomenon when I was growing up. And so we had um, a one big farm a guy who owned a farm used to pick squash and he built an indoor cricket center which in the squash season was where he packed out his squash and then he laid the artificial thing and the nets put the nets up for indoor cricket season when he wasn't using it and so we um so I think that coincide coinciding as well sort of helped but there were these six teams so that was the starting point so there was this sort of like local culture where you could play enough cricket and I, I knew where every team practiced on every night of the week so I just trot around to all of the games and go and be a net bowler basically um try to get a bat whenever i could but um the so but in terms of the pathway like the first pathway is you you know growing up in the provinces you play your in your local team, team your club team and then you play in a, a local rep team and then there's like a regional rep team um so you sort of go and you play in a regional tournament and then there's what you call a districts tournament and districts is like the county setup so that would be northern districts or, or auckland or central districts or wellington they, that's the district team um and so you have the, the regional teams go and play in, a, in a, a tournament and so i grew up up north so i played for northland so we'd go to a, a, a districts tournament and we'd play against you know poverty bay and hampton and um uh who else um, bay of plenty and all, all of the groups that make up the northern districts area um and so my first exposure to that was in the under 13s i think and um so i went away on a tournament and went to matamata um, which is miles from where i grew up and I remember playing this tournament getting billeted out and i, I got runs and wickets and i ended up getting picked in the nd tournament team from that tournament and i sort of remember just clutching my getting the hat at the end of the tournament it was about a five hour drive back home and i i, I remember just falling asleep clutching it to my the hat to my chest <laughs> so uh and driving all the way home um having made this tournament team so that was sort of the first 
moment I think that I thought oh yeah maybe I'm, I can I can do pretty good in this um, but it's it, it's very much a stepping stone yeah process and as you're just going through the ranks playing northern districts getting recognized for New Zealand under 19 in terms of your actual practice and development of your game did you focus a lot on the technical aspects of both bowling and batting or was it just a case of a lot of repetition and was there was there a lot of science behind your practice back then because obviously now in the, in the modern game right now so much analysis tv footage etc but what was it like back when you were playing yeah well well obviously we didn't have any video footage so i think the first time i saw myself bowl i was playing maybe for new zealand under 19 I think was probably the first time I ever saw myself. And I remember just having this, this, this being completely weirded out by going, that's not how I bowl. <laughs> you know, like it was so foreign to me to see myself. It was like, it wasn't what it felt like at all. Um, I remember that really clearly. Um, but um, uh, I would say, I, I would say back then, you just had to get really lucky. I remember, um, um, you know, you, there was I got I had really great people around me all the way through and I got lots of great adults who who understood the game but in terms of real technical knowledge you know I had an uncle who knew the basics you know get your elbow high um, I had a cousin who bowled so he he sort of coached me uh, um, along the lines of fast bowlers but he really you know he modeled he, the reason I like Dennis Lee and and um uh, Michael Holding is, you know, those were his heroes as well. And and we both just looked at how they bowled and we tried to just study them and re- replicate them. So that was the extent of our bowling knowledge, you know, of what we were trying to do. Um, and then, uh, um, you know, I, I would say at that time, I, you had, I had just enough coaching at each level um, of any, and there was that, that enough expertise each way stepped up with you when you got to the high school. And then when you got to each rep team, there, there, there was some really good, Kiwi coaches all the way through, but it was sparse. You didn't, you didn't spend. You know, you might have had a week on a tournament with a really good coach, or um, you know, you had. Um, you know, I remember getting um, one session uh, um, down in Auckland with Martin Crow's batting coach at the time, this old um, uh, guy, and um, he was amazing. But I had one hour with him. You know, and I just remember thinking, this is gold. You know, and. and the technical thing and, and actually the best thing that he he said um and his name just is I'm having a mind blank on his name which is so disrespectful because hopefully it will come back to me but um he had this great piece of advice but um he, he basically said Dion no matter what I tell you today the best thing I can say is in the end you've got to be your best own coach and he said like people will give you advice all all your career um um, but some of it, will, virtually all of it, will be well, good, well-meaning. He said, but some of it will be terrible advice. It won't be right for you. Other parts will be amazing advice, and you need to know how to decipher which is which, uh, and what 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 parts to take up and what parts to let go. And he said, so you have to be your own best coach. And I was like, I remember that just stuck with me. And I think in a way that that was the truest statement anyone could ever have given me. You know, that, and that's definitely was my experience. It's like. In the end, the only person who's veered right through your career is you, you know, and everyone's got a theory, everyone's got a right way of doing something, you know, um, but you look around the world and you look at all the best players in the world and, you know, some of them are technically perfect, you know, Rahul Dravid or 
uh, you know, maybe A.B. de Villiers of the more recent times or someone like that, you know, but they're also, um, there's exceptions to every rule, um, you know, and so each person has to find out and coach themselves as to how, how they're going to get there. And then you toured India as part of the under-19 New Zealand side. Second test match, I believe you scored a century. How was that as a moment in your career? Stephen Fleming was in the same side as well, and you're playing against a young Rahul Dravid as well. How was that as an experience? Yes. And did they stand out, those two players as well, back then? Rahul Dravid definitely was uh, the standout. We had, um, well, we had a really good side. We had, uh, I think... Matthew, if, if I remember correctly, Matthew Hart, uh, Nathan Astle, I'm pretty sure was on that trip. Uh, Jeff Wilson, um, who was became a great All Black for New Zealand, but also was played cricket for New Zealand. Um, Heath Davis, who played for New Zealand. A um, uh, number of other players who, who who were in and around the team, and I've probably missed some some uh, some uh, some important ones there. But um, I, I remember that it was a really important tour for for me personally because it was probably the first time that I felt like I you know maybe poked my head above Jeff Wilson as the 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 guy who was going to be the all-rounder um and you know we were Jeff and I were like that through our whole age group um uh, you know and but uh, it was also a really just a great experience to uh, you know play in another um, a set of conditions, uh, experience another culture firsthand and really immerse yourself in it. I think we were there for six weeks or something and it wasn't like five-star accommodation. You know, we were doing it the old school way um, and it was, you know, we were on buses for, I remember we, we got lost on one trip and we were on, ended up being on the bus for something like 16 hours, you know, and then we <laughs> finally made it to Goa or wherever we were going. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, uh, there was some great cricket played. I definitely remember Rahul Dravid. He stood out um, as as just an absolute class player, and he was the captain. Um, and you know, but there were some great performances. There, uh, I, I sort of remember, but as much the off-field parts of that tour as the on-field. But you know, certainly personally, I'd, I it was a standout for me. I think I, I think I scored three or four centuries. Uh, on, on the whole tour and then I definitely got a few fifers as well and it was just one of those times where you're like oh you yeah, know I can do this I'm, I'm definitely in the mix yeah then full international recognition followed soon after 1992 make your ODI debut first against Zimbabwe followed by the test debut soon after a few weeks later again how did it feel to get the call the cap in your hand all the motions running through your body. Can you recall? Oh, it was it was huge. You know, I remember it because I was at university, so I remember watching it. It was back when you still watched it on TV. You watched the team get announced, um, and I got a call from Wally Lees, who was the coach at the time. And I, I you know, I'd, I'd been in the in training with the training squads, and so um, I sort of you know, with a number of players. Um, and I just got this call from Wally Lees to say, hey, I'm going down to the pub to watch the um, team get announced. Are you going to come down? And I just and I remember thinking, that's really weird. <laughs> um, you know, like, um, so I, I rang up, I rang up a whole bunch of mates and said, oh, Wally Lees has invited me to the pub to watch the team get announced. You guys want to come down? <laughs> so we all, 
we all went to this pub and then sure enough the team gets announced and my name's there and I'm just sort of sitting there with the coach you know thinking what has just happened I haven't I've played three first class games and all my mates are just you know going off and I, I just remember being a bit stunned and thinking wow that's this has all happened really fast um but uh, I, and, but I, you know, I look back now and I, I sort of, um, I, 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 I'm stoked that I got picked young. I, know I had to go through it. it was, I was too young though. You know, I wasn't ready. I wasn't mature enough for it. Um, and I, but I think I probably going on that tour matured me and hardened me so that when I got my second bite at it, at it I was mature enough, if that makes any sense. Um, and I, I, I sort of feel like one of the things that, and I'm jumping forward a little bit, but I think one of the things I'm most proud of of our era once when we finished is I think we had created a better platform for younger players to come into the side than when I came in. Um, and it's nothing against the senior players when I came in. There were some great people there and everyone um, tr tried to sort of help me out, you know, and give me advice. But there was a massive age gap, you know, like guys like... Um, you know, Mark Greatbatch or Martin Crowe, um, you know, or Dipak Patel, all of those senior players, you know, they were probably in their mid-30s and I was 20, you know. Um, so you've got nothing in common with these guys. But the nature of the setup of cricket at that stage was that we were such a, a, a amateur sport, really, in New Zealand, that there was just no infrastructure. There was no management. There was no, um, you know, coaches you know bowling coaches or physios or masseuses or anyone else in the infrastructure there that could sort of take you aside and say hey here's how you look after yourself off the field here's how you know or just have conversations with you that went um you know semi-competitive you know like i was you, you know when you get into the international team you're competing with everyone else in that team for a spot to play in the test so it's not like you're playing with a whole lot of mates it's, it's a semi-competitive environment you know so as a young player coming into that, not understanding any of that, there was just no infrastructure support. So it became quite a lonely tour. Um, and, you know, I, and I was, wasn't playing a lot and I, and I was never good on the sideline anyway. So I ended up sulking a lot, and, you know, feeling like I should be playing and, you know, just young, stupid 20 year old, you know, um, ways of thinking, you know. Um, but um, it, it, in the end, I think, going through the process you know I learned a lot um, and that's probably the best thing I can say about the tour I think I've got a taste for it and I came home a little disillusioned um, from it and probably took me a half a season of domestic cricket and everyone you know because what happened then of course is you go home having not done that well on the cricket tour and you get home to domestic cricket and then every senior player who thinks they should have been picked ahead of you tries to bounce you out or sledge you and you know, and it became quite a miserable first six weeks of domestic cricket, six months of domestic cricket when you got when I got home. You know? Yeah, domestically, am I correct to say you also in during that period you also moved to Otago to play for Otago yes, as well? Yeah. How did that come about? What was the reasons behind that move? Well, really, I just went to university, <laughs> um, and so I moved down to university, and I I was always intending of coming back and playing for Northern Districts. That was all my always my intention, but um bernie mayer who um, played for derby for years um, um and he was my coach actually going back to coaches here that he, when I, he was the um, overseas professional and playing in northland where i grew up for some for a couple of crucial years there 
and um so he he was the first guy that ever I remember came to coach in my local region and we had this session and I asked him well what was it like to have a, a sponsored bat and um he, he said oh one day you'll know Dion and I remember my chest filling with pride because he'd said this in front of all my teammates um but um uh he um he he was a uh, a wicket keeper and batsman and, and I, he was uh, you know coached some of the youth teams that I was in when I was at Northland but he had moved down to Otago um, to be the overseas player down there. And I was just in a pub one night. All these things seem to, ha seem to happen in pubs, but at uh, university. But um, I was, um, you know, having some drinks and I just ran into him. And I was like, Bernie, what are you doing here? And he was like, Dion. And so by the end of the night, he convinced me that um, to come and play for his cricket club at Tyree. And I went home that night and forgot, probably forgot about it. But the next morning he turned up um, and he and we'd negotiated it apparently over a few beers that if he got, if he found a car for me that I could drive out to cricket practice and back from <laughs> then I'd come and stay and play. So he turned up the next morning with a Ford Anglia for me. <laughs> so that was my first cricket car, first car ever. <laughs> and then on the uh, back on the international stage in your your fifth Test match, you got uh, eleven wickets in the match and a half century at Lords in nineteen ninety four. On the back of that, you play for Middlesex. How did that move come about, and how did you find county cricket back then? Yeah, um, well, first of all, I guess that 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 tour, '94 tour, was was I guess the the coming when I made it back, right? And that was my real sort of uh, I guess introduction to the world, you know, um, as a cricketer. And it was again that that massive platform where you go. I, I, I can rarely do this, you know, that I'm, I'm playing the best players in the world on the biggest stage and I've done this and done this feat. And, and uh, you know, I, I was actually as proud of how I bowled in the first test and third test in that series. You know, I think I got, I can't remember, I got, got what the wickets were. And maybe I, I maybe only got two or three wickets in the first test and maybe, you know, four or five in the second. But I remember bowling really well in both of those games as well. And, and feeling, and I remember Graham Gooch got 200 in the first test, and I just remember thinking, man, his bat seemed about that wide. <laughs> and I remember just thinking, how are we ever going to get him out? And then for the next two tests, I, I, I got him out, I think, at least three of the four times, maybe even all four. But um, And it was like one of those great things where you just go, you you raise the whole bar. All of a sudden, it's like, oh, well, that's the standard I can play at, and you never want to drop below it again. Um and so that was a great tour and series. And then, um, and then Middlesex, yeah, I mean, I often look back at that time and it, it was so heady, you know, like I was only, um, you know, what was I, 23, something like that, and, um, and 22, 23, and, and it was just a crazy time to, to sort of look back on. And again, I, I didn't have any mentors, I didn't have anyone telling me how I should do anything there was no roadmap you know so I was just making it up and I, I remember being home at my parents house way up in Dargaville after the tour and all of a sudden you know all of these counties were getting hold of me and ringing ringing Dargaville to try to speak to me about coming and playing county cricket and then um and then also like Oxford University was rang up and were like can you would come and you know captain the Oxford team and do a one year degree MA and I was like and my head was swilling with all this stuff, and but it was sort of like um, 
I just remember thinking, oh man, Middlesex, imagine being there for a, a whole year, and, you know, playing on, on Lords every day. And, you know, just the temptation of that was just too great to, for anything else. So, um, so that was sort of a, a really, you know, it was a huge honor to be even asked. Um, I always look back on it, it's mixed emotions, my time at Middlesex. Um, the first year I went there, you know, I gave gave it everything. I, I, a New Zealand summer is around about four and a half months, you know, in terms of the cricket season. Um, an English summer is a full six months. And what I didn't understand is, you know, in county cricket, if you're playing in a successful team at that stage, you know, you were playing a four day game, um, there was, and then there was at least two other games each week. And so you're playing six days a week. And sometimes on the seventh day, you were traveling um, to the next game, you know? Um, and sometimes that might be from London to Durham, you know? So um, so it was a full on and just exhausting. And and also John Embry that year was having his, um, uh, you know, his you know, um, testimonial year. And, and so every, day we had off he would tap me on the shoulder and say hey do you want to can you come and play in a six or site tournament so it was sort of like just like swamped with cricket um and um as much as i love embers i, I do look back and go man i maybe should have played less a few less of those six or side games but um but you know that was the nature of, of it and and i i just got exhausted you know and i hadn't didn't have anyone in um you know i i always look back and um and I sort of think that if I had have had a bit more um, management around me or just a bit bit more um, advice around how to manage myself through that, I probably would have saved myself a lot of pain, um, um, you know, and, um, and and injuries is what, what it sort of led to. But I just wasn't fit enough. And the cricket itself, I loved, you know, I, I learned so much that year being under Mike Gatting, um, he was a fantastic captain, you know, he understood the game and just the confidence of that team that we just won the toss and batted first and you bowl top and how you win a game is you bat a score, a big total, and then you bowl sides out twice. You know, that was just, it was so simple. And so, so confident and almost arrogant in its approach. Um, and it, it was just great to learn that and play in a side like that, because, you know, I probably hadn't been in a real champion side um, that was used to playing in that way. Uh, and the way um, the players, the expectation on themselves and the standards and the professionalism, it was, it was, um, yeah, it was, it was really great. I, I think of that time, the only person who really tried to give me advice, I remember playing at Warwickshire and Tom Moody, who was the um, overseas player there. Um, I remember after the game, he pulled me aside and he said, hey man, you're doing really well, but you need to learn how to man manage your workload. You need to learn how to slow down um, and, and bowl off a short run when it's when the wicket's not conducive, and you know, and get yourself through these seasons, a long season. And I always look back, and, and I probably at the time I was so young and stupid, I thought, oh, he's just trying to slow me down or something, you know. But I think in retrospect, Tom Moody was the only guy, you know, who really understood what was required, and he could see that I was a young guy who was just burning myself out, um, and I, I just didn't pay enough heed to that great piece of advice. And I always say, so shout out to Tom Moody. I'm, I think, you know, during my era, you know, I think the players are all get on so much better now um, than my era. There was, but we didn't really mix, you know, you stuck with your own team and, um, and, but I think modern players play so much together that they sort of seem to make mates all the way through. But 
I always sort of have had this soft spot for Tom Reddy because I sort of thought, oh, man, I wish I had a, had a little bit more time to spend with him and just listen to him a bit more or, or you know, guides like him uh, and learn a little bit more. But, um, you know, maybe I was just too young and arrogant as well to listen. Maybe it's all retrospective stuff. Did you have any injury issues prior to this or was, it, or was this when it started? Obviously, we'll get on to the fact that you retired at 30, but was this the trigger playing county cricket? You mentioned the relentlessness playing almost six days I just wasn't just where it started yeah I wasn't fit enough I don't think that's the thing you know and I and I hadn't meant to manage myself like I was tearing it off the full run up and trying to bowl fast every game you know and it was just unsustainable I played that I don't I, I'm pretty sure I I'm saying I played that first season I played every game um, and I think I got like you know 700 runs and 50 50 odd wickets or something you know so I did okay you know I did my bit and bearing in mind that, you know, we had pretty dry wickets at Lords and really all, all our job was to do, it was Gus Fraser and mine's job to knock the top off. And then it was like, you know, Embers and Tuppers came in and got bowled the majority of the overs, you know. So um, it, it was a pretty good um, first season. And I think everyone was happy. Um, but what happened was I then went home and um, I actually I actually had a break. I went two weeks into to the States, to LA. And, and so I took, two weeks off and that two weeks then I went straight home and jumped on a plane to a tour to India with um and um, with the New Zealand team and but when I got to India I hadn't bowled for two weeks I'd just come off a full six month season and I got there and uh, the weirdest sort of thing happened as I ran into bowl the first ball of the nets and I couldn't remember how to bowl like my body literally was like um just sort of almost rejecting the the the, the process um and I ended up um sort of throwing nearly throwing it on that tour you know like I in fact I, I sort of didn't play some games because I, I really was struggling so much and I I look back and I think it was just a re- absolutely physical reaction to it I, my body was just exhausted from doing the same action over and over um, and it was just literally rejecting the process and so you know I I I played the, the test series and did okay and, and but I got home and I just sort of had to the domestic season was not was not really a good one. I sort of like, um, you know, took some time out and um, and sort of um, tried to rebuild my action. Um, but you know, then then we went to the West Indies and went to uh, the I think it was um, I'm right in saying we went to the World Cup and then the West Indies. Um, I think it was a I'm trying to remember how it all. Back then, though, all the tours were sort of back-to-back. Um, I think we played the World Cup and then maybe went to the West Indies or vice versa, I can't remember. And I remember just getting, um, picking up a bag off the conveyor belt in the West Indies and went and turning and putting on. My back just went and I just slipped that disc. And that was the the one big moment where I was like, I thought, and up until then, I'd had muscle injuries and different things, but you know, I never felt that um, it was... Um, something I couldn't overcome and for that moment I thought oh this is just a tweak back you know I'll overcome it but as it turned out I went and you know, after that was in these two I went back for my second season at Middlesex and you know every time I tried to bowl it was just like this searing pain through my back and I, I had all, every scan you could have and bone scans and you know was it and nothing was showing up and in the end I you know I, I remember having to sit down with um, Mike Gatting after a few weeks and saying hey look I don't think I'm going to get better. And he was like, no, we can all see that. So, you know, I ended up having to, um, you know, 
end my contract. And it was a, a really sad sort of day. I remember feeling, I think Middlesex felt let down. And, you know, I, I remember feeling like misunderstood, you know, and I, and I remember sort of having that sense of like, they don't think I'm really injured. They think I'm just not enjoying my cricket. Um, and so I couldn't express that, you know, that because and it was because there was no evidence, there was no sort of he's a broken bone or something. It was really hard to show anyone and say, hey, this is I've, I've genuinely got this injury. Um, and as it turned out, I, I sort of flew home and then, you know, ultimately had all these MRIs and then finally, yeah, sure enough, I, you know, this, this massive disc had bulged out of my back and and um and then it was the start of a, you know, I guess what twelve or eighteen month recovery to try and get back back to playing cricket so it, it was a major crushing blow um, on a whole lot of levels you know um, and one one I wish I could have avoided I'm for sure but in retrospect when you go back to it you know probably the second half of my career you know it probably I would say might have benefited me and that I, I really valued that um, part of it and, and you did it was finite. And then also there was that on the international stage, there was this, that smoking incident that brought a bit of attention yourself, Stephen Fleming, Matthew Hart. Without getting into too much detail, did, this, did that attention, did that knock your confidence in any way? Obviously, you were a young man then. How, how do you reflect back? Yeah, well, funny story about that. It's because that happened just going, before going back for the first season of, at Middlesex. And um, Middlesex had written me a letter to say, Oh, look, um, we're, we're really disappointed to hear that you've had this incident in South Africa and we hear that it's, you know, it's a one-off and, um, you know, we, we very much don't approve of, you know, smoking marijuana at Middlesex and so, so on and so forth. And I um, said, but, you know, but, you know, we'll, we're, we're looking forward to seeing you and still coming forward on your contract. And by the way, here's your work permit. So I was like, okay, cool, that's a nice letter, thank you. And, you know, I wrote something nice back. Anyway, I turned up at the customs to get into England for um, for my first season at Middlesex. And I walk up to this nice lady at the customs and she goes, oh, have you got a work permit? And I say, hand over this work permit. And so she reads the cover letter of this thing, which is, <laughs> which is a Middlesex letter saying, oh, you know, we hope you're not going to smoke the pot while you're here. And um. And she just starts laughing and she rips it off and she hands it back to you. You might want to hold on to this part of it. <laughs> so, yeah, full declaration at customs, you know, no dramas. <laughs> um, but, yeah, in terms of just, um, it was, just, it was um, I, I think in a way it, it drew Stephen Fleming and myself and Matthew Hart. We, we, yeah, because there's there obviously more people involved than the three of us. So it was just that three of us owned up. And, it was a real, it, it, it splintered the team, no question, you know, and, um, and, and, you know, there was the people who sort of dobbed us in and there was the people who didn't own up and then there was us who had owned up, you know, and there was, and then there was some people who weren't involved on any level, you know, and, and so it was sort of like one of those crazy scenarios where for the next few years, you just had to navigate that path and no one ever really spoke about it, but it was just a bit of an uneasy but. The, the shock for me, I, I suppose, was up until that point, uh, we had we had been the young, sort of up and up and coming stars. All, all the press we'd ever had was positive, and then all of a sudden, you're plastered over every newspaper in the country, and you've got radio talk shows ringing your parents, and um, and you know, just 
all of this vitriol being poured on you that you've done all of this terrible stuff and 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 um, poured a black stain over the country and all that sort of stuff you know and you were just like and this it was such a re overreaction back then in, a, in one way but it was the sign of the times that's where New Zealand was at you know um and it was a dumb thing to do we should never have been getting involved in it you know there's no question um so we, it's indefensible but I also think the way the media and journalists in New Zealand probably handled it at the time and I think it, it, it was overkill you know it was uh, it was because we you know we were banned I think for three weeks it you know cost me about ten thousand dollars in legal fees to try and you know where to get lawyers it was it was a real drama at the time um to try to you know deal with it um and I think in a way it crystallized who you became later um it definitely hardened you and isolated you a little bit within the team and I think Stephen Fleming and I will always have that bond that's like you know we never have spoken about it but it's uh, I think you know, he's an honest guy, I'm an honest guy, and, and we both sort of always work, work forward on that principle, you know, like it's like we we knew we were not going to sort of bullshit each other um, going forward, and 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 I think Matthew Hart, um, much the same, you know, I, I think Hardy probably suffered the most in terms of confidence, I think it definitely knocked him, and not long after that, you know, guy, young guy Vittori came on the scene and, and, and sort of sort of knocked Hardy out of, out of the reckoning a little bit, um, so it was probably tough on all of us, but I think maybe toughest on Hardy. And then 1998, you got given the opportunity to skipper the national side. Stephen Fleming, was he out with an injury? Again, how does how does that rank in terms of the moments, the Paris moments in your career? So against South Africa, res, results-wise, it didn't quite go your way. But reading back some articles, etc., you got a lot of praise for your captaincy. Yeah, I mean, I I loved that little period, and I mean, it, it was always a bit of a stopgap measure. You know, Flem had been invested in as a young guy to be the captain, and I think to some degree, it's very hard for an all rounder to to sustain being captain or a fast bowler to be captain for a period of time because you just miss so many games. Um, so I think it was always. Be viewed by myself as much as anyone that it was a, a stopgap, I, but I loved it. You know, it was a great opportunity, and I think I grew a little bit, and it and it helped. You know, I'd been, um, I guess, um, you know, the unofficial vice captain on some level, and and you know, Flynn was very uh, um, stoic, sort of silent character. You know, maybe a little unemotional, um, and I think I was more hard on my sleeve type character and more aggressive and in your face. So. It, you know, it, it, in a way, it was um, a nice balance for for a period there, um, and and I think probably that um, you know uh, I just brought that more in your face style and a bit more hey more movement to to it for a time. But I think um, during that period, you know, it, it, as much as it was a huge honour to be bestowed upon me, and I and you know I'm really proud of some of the results. You know, I think we we beat. Uh, the South Africans in a couple of one days and uh, I can't remember we maybe beat this in India we certainly pushed them really hard in a few games um, drew a few tests and I think we lost one to South Africa but um, you know so the results were, were pretty good for the time um, and, I, and I really enjoyed it and, and the team definitely felt galvanized but I, I, I at the same time I, I sensed that at that time 
it was the the best thing I can say about that time is it was raising up of about four or five leaders within the group. Um, and, you know, Flem was obviously one, I think, you know, myself, I think Roger Two's coming forward. You know, I think Adam Perori and, and Chris Kens both started to stand up more as leaders. Um, you know, I think Nathan Estill in a silent way was became a really tough international competitor and, and a leader in the group. Um, and I think that you know, had a couple of younger guys like Craig McMillan and, and Dan Vittori who really benefited from that group coming up like that because it allowed them to come up and be young leaders in the team. You know? um, and I, so I think um, uh, you know, rather than it being anything about you know, me that, that time or, or even Flem or anything, I think the management that had come around the team at that time started to produce leaders uh, at, at, across the board. And that coincided with us becoming just an infinitely better cricket team. And then the year 2001, your last domestic game, was it, there was, a, there was another incident, wasn't there? Um, <laughs> yeah. Do you want to just, do you want yes. to just talk through it? Um, oh, God, well, at the risk of getting suspended again, yeah. Um, I, yeah, no, well, I was coming back to play, um, and it was a, one of those, it was a really terrible way to end your, your first class career, actually, but, you know, I, I'd been injured again. Um, I'd done, you know, what, the, the most tiring thing about having an injury is is the recuperation you know you never want to see another physio ever again and so um <clears throat> you know the re the the injury's not not the reason you're retiring the, the 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 overcoming of the injury is what 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 makes you retire you know just the the work that has to go in and it's the law of diminishing returns you know you have to work harder and harder and spend more time in the gym and more time at physios to get shorter periods of time on the park you know and it just becomes this in the end, it, it's just not worth it anymore. And um, I was sort of getting towards the end of that, um, I guess, process. You know, I'd been in and out of the team a bit. Um, and I'd played, um, I had to play, I was making my way back from an injury and I was, I was bowling off a half run. I'd scored 100 in the first innings, you know, had in Dunedin against Otago. I was playing for Auckland at the stage. Um, it was the first time Brendan McCullum had come onto the scene and he came out and he smashed like a hundred and played really well. Um, and um, I, when the incident occurred, I was actually at cover, fielding at cover, and um, Kyle Mills was bowling. And um, Lee Jamon, um, who was the cap, I think he was the captain of Otago at the time, but we'd played a lot of cricket against Lee. Um, and he nicked one behind and he, and he wasn't given um, out. And so, uh, and it was a, an umpire that I'd had a bit of history with in the past, you know, and, I just said, oh, God, that's just outright cheating, you know, and something, something like to that effect. And um, as I was walking away back to my mark to, in covers, I, I sort of turned around to watch the ball and the umpire was standing in cover in front of my face. And so we had this, and he, he was basically saying, you know, what did you say? You know, and I was like, well, you know, so, I, so I sort of basically told him to back off and stand down and, you know, whatever. I used some bad language to to make my point, um, and then it sort of just sort of carried on, and 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 of course you can't win with a conversation with an umpire, you know, um, and so I I ended up getting that was the extent of the incident, and then after the match, you know, we got pulled into the offices thing, and the umpire had written up this whole report and labelled every single thing that I'd said, which was I guess accurate, um, but didn't really reflect how I felt 
things had gone down, you know. Um, and so I just remember fighting, the trying to fight it. And this is ridiculous. You can't walk over to me and, and confront me and, and then write up everything I've said. That's, that's outrageous, you know. Uh, and as for my, for my part, I ended up getting another three weeks uh, suspension, which the thing that probably annoyed me most about that is I went straight from that suspension as they picked me to go and play in Australia in a one-day series and I hadn't had any games, you know, and you're just like, wow, you know, really? This is this is how you're going to, this is how it's going to end? So I went and played in Australia and sure enough, I got over there with no, no games and I um, sort of broke down halfway through the tour and, and that was the end of the career. So it was a sad way to go, but I probably, I don't hold any grudges to it. You know, I, 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 I think that I, I was you know, probably um, at the end of my tether, you know, and, and just had, had had enough. And my frustration and my bad behaviour, you know, and, and not being able to hold my tongue was probably indicative of where my head was at with that, with the whole thing, you know. And I, I think if there was any frustration with it, it was just the lack of understanding from New Zealand cricket at the time. You know, it was like, hey, here's a guy who's given 10 years and obviously it, it's it's something's eating at him you know but no one ever bothered to ask you know the question or even make sure that i i had a, a plot pan to, to how to carry on you know yeah so age 30 you retire from the game in your mind did you have a plan forward that you wanted to go down you obviously take up the position head of the players association did it, was that kind of fueled Due to that 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 last incident that we just discussed as well, I think I think it was I think for sure there was some uh, hey look there's we've got to have a better. I, I remember I was always quite outspoken all the way through. Um, you know I remember um, John Reed um, who has recently passed away, um, um, the young John Reed who you know obviously a fantastic New Zealand batsman. Um, he he at some time was a, a sort of CEO of New Zealand cricket or stand and CEO so. And we'd been trying to fight for better wages at that time, um, and and hadn't really succeeded. Um, you know, we'd sort of just been told this is what you're going to get paid, and this. And so, uh, I wasn't driving that players' association. Heath Mills, who came and is still running it today, he sort of came to us and said, "Look, um, I, I think it's time you guys stood up." And you know, and it's happening all around the world. And his old be old lead it. Most need some senior players, and I'd already retired. And I was like, "Yeah, look." They definitely need help. You know, we, you know, we've got to pay players better, and we've got to have, you know, better ways of, of having the judiciary system play out. We've got to have better facilities before the game, and more management. You know, more more training facilities. All these different things that we we're trying to fight for. It wasn't just the wages. Of course, in the end, it becomes about that from the media. But you know, it wasn't just about that. Um, and and so yeah, we, I just really believed in it. And it, again, it was one of those things. Uh, uh, I don't want to dwell on the negative, but it, it became one of those things that I, I I learned just a tough lesson from it because when you're playing and you have bad press, you've got another game to go out and play where you can prove everyone wrong again. But when you're no longer playing and you get bad press, that bad press just sits there and you can't fight it. There's nothing you can do to rectify it afterwards. So I found the the because we did get quite badly beaten up, you know, we were, and I I was sort of one of the guys who fronted it um, for the players and um, and I did find it quite tiring and I again I said things that were 
can you know wrong i'd never been put under that sort of spotlight and having to talk about employment law and you know i was weighing over my head trying to articulate what was wrong with the situation um and all of a sudden so it was a totally different type of press that was coming at you know it was like the main media um rather than the sports media and so they were asking questions and in ways that I, I couldn't explain where, where I, expect, I expected them to understand because it was like, you know, hey, can't you just see that we should all be paid fairly, you know, that, those types of things. And I didn't have the, the quite the right argument. So that was, a, a, again, a tough lesson. But, you, you know, having gone through it, I'm glad we went through it. I mean, it was important to get it set up and look how much better the world is and the cricket is for having these players associations now. And certainly the New Zealand one has gone on to do some incredible things. And, the Players Association in New Zealand and New Zealand Cricket together are, are really tight now and doing and I think the, the 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 platform that we've got in New Zealand cricket right now is incredible. You know, you can really see the support structures in place. Um, the coaching is phenomenal that these guys are getting and the platforms and the facilities uh, and the pathway that's been created. Um, and I think, you know, we're getting paid better and better. I'm sure the players would always argue that they want more, but um, the the structures there now. Um, and so, in a way, you have to go through that, or someone has to go through it. And I, I think that me and that other group of players who were there at the time will always, you know, we're proud of what that we did it. And then 2005, you also become a selector for the for the national side. Again, how did that all come about? How did you find the role? Obviously, you were casting your eye on players that you'd also shared the dressing room with as well how did you find that did you find there to be any conflict in your mind talk us through it yeah plenty of conflict yeah it was um it was great first the first thing i'd say i loved it um working with richard hadley glenn turner you know um uh, at a later date john wright and um uh you know mark great batch they they were fantastic and that cross-generational opportunity to work with guys and understand their thinking and see what they brought to the table was phenomenal um, John Bracewell is a coach. Um, I've always had huge respect for him as a coach. I think he's a really great cricket coach. Um, but I will say that, you know, the, the way that was all structured, it did become a little bit against, a bit about the selectors against the coach over time. And, uh, you know, I, I think that, you know, we, we probably um, could have done better and handled that better and done, and, and it would have been more fun as well. But I think, coaches sort of tend to want what's right for the team right now and I think we as selectors we were trying to pick what was right for the the slightly longer term so there's always a, a slight um, you know difference of opinion um, but the hardest thing was definitely you know picking you know and I, I think probably on some level my relationship with a few of those guys that did spoil um, you know I think guys like I remember Scott Styrus ringing up and you know, confronting me at some point why he'd been dropped. And and I just sort of said to him, hey, well, why aren't you ringing the other guys and asking them, you know, why, how come you're choosing me? And and it was because he felt that he could because we'd played together and we knew each other personally and, you know, been and all of those things. And so there was a, there was some tough things there, but I think um, at, at the same time, I just loved it. I thought it was really great. Um, it, it, it did feel like um, another learning experience. I think if we ever went back again, um, you know, you'd, you'd know so much better. It's one of those things that um, 
you sort of wonder. I've had so many learning experiences. You wonder when I'm going to try to whether what it's all leading to, <laughs> or whether everything's just a learning experience. I don't know. Yeah. So let's talk us through the transition away from cricket and into entrepreneurship. Am I correct in saying the first the first business was some spring water business before this triumph and disaster business? Do you yes, want to just talk yeah. us through them both and the transition well, away from cricket? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I think it, you'll, you'll speak to lots of ex-players, I'm sure, on this channel. The, the hardest thing is giving the game up. You know, it's... um. It's amazing how deep it gets in, you know, like even now I'm nearly 50, I turned 50 this year and I'm like, you know, I still wake up thinking about innings I should have scored more runs in, you know, and you're just like, really? Like, that's that's 20 years ago, <laughs> you know, um, what am I even, what, why is it even still in there? But it's just, it's the game gets inside your bones, you know, and I think, you know, everything about it. Um, and and some of it's not good, you know, some of it's the 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 fame or the the acumen the the, the acclaim that you get not the acumen the claim um that you get at the time you know that, that you sort of miss or you know other players come in and, and so there's all of this emotional roller coaster that you go through as a when you retire from the sport the luckiest thing i feel for my that i've been able to do is, is to get into business and find some good people and, and i've had a couple of great experiences you know as you say with the water business which we, it was part of a forty became part of forty two below. I got bought into that bigger business, and then that big that business sold to Bacardi, and then I went into to run the vodka brand under Bacardi in America. So I had I, I had a, a you know a, a dream run and and sort of small business to corporate business to to really American sort of corporate business running it, and that was really great and loved it. And and now I've gone out. Um, on my own and started my own skincare brand and and i think that having that outlet and that creative outlet and that process to put something into that you're building uh, you know i i just am so grateful for because i think that as a sports person that's what you're used to you know you're used to being on all the time you know you don't have any real downtime you're always thinking about how you can improve yourself or how you can get better as a, as a sportsman and and um and having my own business is very much like that you know it's like there's no there's no time to take your foot off the pedal, you know. If someone, if you do, someone else is going to take that spot, you know. Um, and and it's that mentality which I, I really appreciate. Um, uh, and so, you know, I have had a bit of a, a great run, but again, much like cricket, um, it's about just finding yourself around some good people and getting a bit lucky, having the right coaches at the right times or the right mentors at the right times, and 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 you know, having enough. I guess now to to understand when an opportunity presents itself, um, and then and then giving it a go. And talk us through the inspiration behind the name Rudyard Kipling's "If." Yes, you've got it. Yeah, yeah. My father threw the poem on my bed when I was about thirteen, and he um, and said, "Read that, boy." And I, I was like, I think we were we were not getting on very well. We were butting heads a bit, so it was one of those things where. Um, I sort of read it, and I remember graffitiing all around the outside of it, but never throwing it away. You know, I remember thinking, "No, that's actually a pretty good poem. I, I think I like that one." So I, I remember keeping it. And yeah, when I wanted to, so you know, what I had this idea because in, in cricket we use skincare. You know, you're out in the sun all the time, and I remember Ken Rutherford 
um, walking in when I was about 22 and I, I was, had this pot of oil, oil of ole in my coffin that I used to use after a day in the field and I'd had a shower and Ken had got out cheaply. And Ken was a bit of a bat thrower. He came into the Carrotsbrook dressing room and I was the only one in there and he walks in and he heaves his back. This is a mid sort of stroke of putting moisturizer on my face and he takes one look at me and he goes, what are you doing? And I was like, I did. I just pause, and I and then he goes, "Why are you putting sunscreen sunscreen on at this time of day?" <laughs> and I was like, oh, "You can never be too safe, Ken." Um, and and so that idea of like getting caught putting a moisturizer on in the early nineties would have been akin to I don't know. It would have, it wouldn't have been a happy time. So it was so far outside of his frame of reference. So that was sort of like my ambition was to create a skincare brand that guys could feel proud of. And I was trying to make it rational, and I was looking at this idea of handed down advice you know dad taught teachers to shave and you know so that so it's normal for guys to use these products which is what i was trying to express and then i just looked up from my desk one day and i saw the name from on the poem and it was like triumph and disaster was just in bold letters it felt like it was anyway and i was like that's that's what i'm going to call it it's handed down advice there it is right there and then your do you have any desires to go back into the game you talked about how it still in your bones in your mind if an opportunity were to ever come about do you think you'd be tempted well, <laughs> yeah i mean i think i'm i mean it's it's a funny one isn't it i mean i'm always in the game you know like i'm um you know it, 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 i've got two sons now and a daughter and um you know they they all play cricket actually um you know uh, and the the oldest one's 14 so he's just starting to you know, grow into his body, and and so I coach their teams, and I'm you know work with the my the school to sort of help the the get the cricket going there a little bit. Um, you know, and I think that's probably where my level is at. If I'm honest, I I, I don't really have huge desires to to get involved. I, I my first priority now is is sort of family and business and making sure that all works. Um, but you know, I. I I still feel very much part of the cricket family. You know, I, I, you know, I may be taking a little bit further step back from it than, than previous times, but you know, I, I still love the game and love watching it and, and being around it. And you know, you can I think if at a later date, if at any time, you, the game's always there. You know, and 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 you know it so well and intrinsically that you know if you wanted to go back into it, but. I, I think the best thing you can do really is to support it from the sidelines, you know, um, and certainly, you know, watching my sons play gives me a lot of pleasure. Um, and, but just seeing the game and how it's played now and, you know, evolving, it gives you pleasure as well. It is a different game to when I was growing up. I, I certainly don't think I could uh, have stomached T20, bowling in a T20 like they do these days. Um, you know, that would have probably broken me. I think. <laughs> and then just, just to end on, how do you view the game in New Zealand at the top level, players coming through the system, the state of the side in both test yeah, cricket, one day T20s? I don't think New Zealand cricket's ever been healthier, if I'm honest. I think um, I think we've almost got an embarrassment of riches in, in a way. We've got far, people trying to bowl fast, um, you know, across the board. And I think there's more fast bowlers in at every stage of the game and I think that's hugely important you know we we, we were always back you know that, that was always that the stigma that New Zealand had for years was you know we're a 
team of medium paces. And I remember when I was playing with Chris Kim, we hated that. And we were always trying to hit people just to show that we weren't medium pace, you know? It was like, you know, we, so we wanted to really put it up people. And, and But in a way, you couldn't fight it. No matter how quick you bowled, they would just say, oh, New Zealand medium pace attack, you know? And, it, and it's because we didn't have that one express guy, um, you know? And even I think Richard Hadley suffered that to some degree, you know? Um, and so uh, I think seeing, you know, Shane Bond came in and in very short time did amazing job of, of sort of raising that and changing that. And I think, um, you know, I think uh, after Shane, there's been a series of guys who've all sort of kept stepping up. And I think that that's an exciting part of the game. You know, there's still guys like that. I think we've got some real interest. Obviously, we've got three, three or four test bowlers at the moment who are world-class. Um, all all performing at the same time, and and that's huge. Um, and and I think that stimulates other guys at every level to to replicate um, our batting. And I don't think we've ever had as good a batting lineup as we do. I think Tom Latham is the best opening batsman we've ever had. Um, and and having that at the top just solidifies everything else, and it makes everyone else's job easier. And obviously. You know, everyone knows how good Kane Williamson is and Ross Taylor. And, um, but, but all the way down through our order now, we're starting to see guys step up. And then you go to the T20 side and you've got, you know, guys like Conway and all of these young, you know, real dashes coming through that can just absolutely change the game. So, uh, uh, you know, I'm not exaggerating. I think, it, I think it's as healthy as it's ever been in New Zealand. I just don't see it being have, ever having the stops that we've had. Um, I think the challenge for us now is to really define the style that we can want to take out and continue to play um, and really articulating that, uh, you know, as a team on a, on a world stage. And I think it, it's playing with that flair and style is what's going to br keep bringing through people through the gate. And it, it's just trying to encourage that. Um, and, and I think, I think that's all happening. Um, and I, so, so, yeah, nothing but positives at the moment, I think, for, for New Zealand cricket. So Dion, perfect. Thank you very much for your time today. Really appreciate it. All the best for the for the months ahead with the business, and hopefully we get out of this COVID crisis asap. Yeah, well, fingers crossed. But it's been great to talk to you, Neil. So thanks a lot for taking the time out to listen to my rambling story. But uh, I really appreciate it. It's been a nice trip down memory lane. So take care. Perfect. So Neil Kagram, Cricket Last Stories, Dion Nash. Thank you.